Well, good morning, Front Range. How are you guys doing this morning? Come on. Hey, it's so good to be with you. Just want to welcome you guys in the room, those of you online. It's so good to be with you guys. Uh, like Pastor Jeff said, my name is Brandon, and I am the student pastor here. Uh, I have not been in student ministry for 40 years, but you could have thought of it because I'm bald. Uh, but that's just what uh, student ministry does for you. It takes your hair away. So it's real rewarding. Um, hey, I'm, I'm super excited to, to be with you today. We're a church that uh, just desires to help you uh, build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And uh, so like I said, it's just great to have you guys here with us. Uh, we are starting a new series today called Speak of the Devil. Everybody say, Speak of the Devil. Speak of the devil. Now this series, the whole idea for this series came from a book that our staff read this past year called Live No Lies. And it talked about the principles found in scripture about the, the things that rob us from our peace and then how do we actually find peace in our lives. And it is amazing read. And so I just want to encourage you, if what we talk about today or over the next few weeks kind of resonates with you, challenges you, I just want to encourage you, pick up the book. It's a great read. Uh, it's an amazing read. Resource. If you want to figure out what that is, you can let us know. We'll, we'll tell you where to buy it. But um, it is an amazing, amazing read. And so uh, before we dive in, I want, to, I want to start by asking you this question, posing this question. What in your life robs you from peace? What is it that's in your life that is robbing you from your day-to-day -day peace? Now, a few of us pastors, we posed this question on social media this last week, and the, the responses that we got were amazing. And I just want to say thank you for your transparency, for your honesty. It's not always easy to be uh, transparent with the things that we're struggling with in our lives. And we saw a ton of responses, and a few of the responses that were similar to each other were uh, that, that media causes us to lose our peace. How many of you guys? would agree with that, our, our media, the things that we take in. Uh, some of us, we put that our future, the future, what's going to happen uh, in the next days, weeks, months, years to come that can rob us of our peace. And then uh, some people even said their past, right? Things that we've done, things that we might identify as they rob us of our past. Um, and then a, a huge one was a lack of control. How many of you guys love to control things, right? The, 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 the lack of control uh, it causes a lack of peace. Now, what if I told you that there's actually really only three things in our lives that lead to a lack of peace? There's only three things. And no, your kids are not one of them. Um, and I'll be honest, the, I was really tested with that this week. <laughs> our, our kids aren't one of them. Uh, our, our finances aren't one of them. Um, and, and as hard as it is to believe, uh, going another season as a Denver Broncos fan without them in the playoffs is not one of them either, or that terrible person, Tom Brady, making it to the playoffs again. Like, but that's not, that's not what it is. There's only three things that lead to a lack of peace, and we're going to be talking about those over the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about the flesh and how the flesh leads to a lack of peace. The week after that, we're going to take a look at the world and how that leads to a lack of peace. And today, I'm excited to, to be with you and to, to share this. We're going to talk about something. But before we dive in, I want you guys to know this, that there are going to be a lot of opportunities for you to take notes. Okay? So I want to encourage you, take out your phone. It's okay. You can be on your phone. Like, just don't play a game. Just take notes. I'll pull out a piece of paper and a pen because we're going to be going through a lot of things. And a lot of, uh, we, we tell our students all the time that note takers are history makers. And so, 
be like our students and take notes, I promise you. Um, so today we're going to look at the first thing that leads to a lack of peace in our lives, and that is the devil. He said it. It's okay. We can say the devil. The devil leads to a lack of peace. So before we dive in, let's pray. Jesus, we just come before you. And God, we submit our will, our desires, our hearts, our mind, our peace to you. And Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us, God, that you would convey in our hearts what you want us to hear today. God, remove our distractions. Help us focus on you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Now, oftentimes when we hear about the devil, uh, we, we hear, we respond to him or we, we, we interact, more of a blame game, right? Like the, the devil made me do it. You do something bad, like, ah, oh, the devil made me do it. How many of you guys like on your way to church today got in a fight with your spouse and you're like, it was the devil. I'm not the jerk. He made me do it. Maybe you just didn't plan right and you left the house and now you're rushed and then you said something you shouldn't have said and now there's tension, right? Like oftentimes we play the blame game with the devil and I think that when we do that, sometimes we completely or partially discredit the devil and what he actually came to accomplish, what he came to do, and what he's actually doing in our lives. So we're going to take a look and, and, and we're going to look at three truths about the devil, this is the first truth, is that he is a real intelligent being. The devil is a real intelligent being. In 1 John 3, 8, this is what the Bible says. It says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, that's speaking of Jesus, was to destroy the devil's work. Now this word here, the devil in the Greek is diabolos, and it means the accuser or the slanderous, the one that speaks lies, the slanderous. And three different times in scripture, we see Jesus referring to the devil as the prince of this world. Now, the prince of this world, what does that mean? Well, it's actually a Greek word kind of describing a high-ranking Roman official that had essentially ultimate rule in that region. And Jesus is referring to the devil this way. Why? Because he's saying that the devil on this earth is actually the most influential creature there is. He's roaming around. He's doing crazy things. And Jesus recognizes that. But I think sometimes we play the, the blame game and we discredit that in our own lives. It's, it's, it's wild that sometimes we don't hold on to the truth as much as what Jesus speaks. The greatest trick that the enemy ever played on us, the greatest trick the enemy ever played on this earth was actually tricking us to think he doesn't even exist, to minimize his impact, to minimize his, his role, or maybe even discredit the fact that he even exists at all. The first truth is that the devil is real and he's intelligent. The second truth is that his end goal is to spread death and destruction. The devil's end goal is to spread, spread death and destruction. John 10.10, 10, one of the most popular verses, many of us know this, says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus speaking of himself and the devil. This verse paints a dynamic picture of what Jesus actually came to accomplish on this earth and what the devil is trying to do. That Jesus came that we might have life and not just an ordinary, mundane, make it through today life, but a life filled to the full. And the enemy came for the exact opposite, to destroy any of it. He's like a, a, a teenage boy with a bat in an abandoned china shop, right? 
just all, some of the guys are like, yeah, right? Like you're in an abandoned China shop and you just want to smash everything. Like that sounds, come on, I'm in student ministry. I've got to, like, it's a, like that would be legit. Some of you moms are out there like, ah, oh, don't, don't smash them. You can save them. Like sell it on the Facebook marketplace. Like it's okay. No, smash it. Like, like that, that sounds fun. But, but, but ultimately like reality is that's the goal of the devil. Where there is beauty, he wants to corrupt and deface it. Where there is love, he wants to destroy it. Where there's unity, he wants to fragment it into a million pieces. At the end of the day, his, his anti-life, his, his pro-death, his chaos-filled insatiable fire is aimed straight at us. Straight at our families, straight at our faith, straight at our very existence to bring death and destruction in any way possible. I like in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, Peter right here, he's sending a warning to the other churches in Asia Minor. They're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing pain. They're experiencing suffering. And this is what he says here in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. It says, be alert and of sober mind. He's saying, pay attention to what's around you. Pay attention to what's going on and be of sober mind. He's saying, hey, Calm down a little bit. Don't throw yourself up into a tizzy. Don't be so afraid, but be calm and sober mind. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And then it says this, resist him. It's saying, oppose him. It means use your voice to speak against the enemy. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. And then this part's encouraging. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world, is undergoing the same kind of suffering. This word suffering here is actually a, a, a word that, that represents not an internal battle or an internal struggle. It actually represents an outside force that is coming against us to destroy us, to break us, to hurt us. And it's actually the exact same word used throughout Scripture when describing the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. He's saying... Be encouraged, stand firm, because you know that the family of believers, the other, the other churches, they're experiencing the same suffering. Saying all over this world, the enemy, the devil is breeding chaos. He's breeding destruction. He's bringing pain and confusion. And Paul is saying, be aware. Why is he saying be aware? Why? Because the devil is actually accomplishing his goal. The devil is actually seeing things happen. He's actually breeding death. He's actually breeding destruction. He's actually seeing himself and his enemies take ground. He's accomplishing his goal to spread death and destruction. The third truth that we have here about the devil is that his way of destruction is lies. His way of destruction is lies. Here's Jesus in response to a group of Jews who were arguing about who they were, their relationship with God, what it meant to follow God, what it meant to look like to be in relationship with God. And this is Jesus in a response to this group of Jews in John 8, 44. It says, you belong to your father, the devil. Like that's, that's got to kind of hurt. Like if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, hold up. Like that, I don't know about that, right? Like that, that, that automatically puts you in a defensive stance. But Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry your, out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, I love this, when he lies, when he speaks, he speaks his native language. 
for he is a liar and the father of lies. Like that's a mic drop right there. Like after hearing this, how do any of us want to be associated in any way with what he's, he's doing? He is a murderer. He speaks his native language when he lies. See, some of us here, we're thinking like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like I'm sure he could have a whole lot more impactful war plan. Like he's got other weapons that he could use besides lies. Like I've got young kids. I can spot a lie from 100 miles away, right? Like some of our us parents were like, that's a lie. Nope. I can't be that effective. Why does he use it? He uses it because he knows it works. It's simple, but it works, okay? It's simple, but it works. He knows that the most impactful, effective lies are those sprinkled with a little bit of truth. The devil knows that the most impactful lies are the lies that are sprinkled with a little bit of truth. And if we're being honest with ourselves, if we're being real with ourselves, this is where a lot of us are today. This is where we're struggling. This is where we're being attacked. The temptations that we often uh, associate with the devil, those aren't necessarily the things that we are struggling with, but it's right here. Where the enemy manipulates the truth to cause us to believe a lie. Right? The, the truth is, I've made mistakes. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the truth is, I have made mistakes. The way the enemy whispers it into our ears at night is, no, but you are a mistake. The truth is that I'm going through a rough season. We've all, over the last few years, we've gone through very hard things. The truth is we're going, we've gone through a hard season. The way the enemy manipulates it in the middle of the day is, yeah, but you're being punished by God. The truth is that, that I can't handle my current circumstances without God. The truth is I can't do it without him. The way he manipulates it is, yeah, you're not going to survive this. It's going to crush you. It's going to destroy you. The truth is I have a rough past. Truth is I've done some things that I'm not proud of. The lie that the enemy tells me at night is, yeah, and you have no future. God's not going to use you. For some of us, it's you're not going to be loved because of your past. You're not going to be accepted. You're not going to be forgiven. The enemy uses lies sprinkled with a little bit of truth because they're impactful, because they're effective. He's a master manipulator, and he's not wasting his lies on little things like who stole the cookie from the cookie jar. The devil is lying to us about real impactful things about here and today. He's lying to us about who God is. He's lying to us about who we are. He's lying to us about who and what we're called to do with our lives here on earth. And he manipulates and he challenges us. He says, yeah, is God really that good? Look at what's happening in the world. Is God really that good? Does God really love? Does God really forgive? He lies to us and he says, yeah, yeah, God loves everybody, but he doesn't love you. God will forgive everybody else, but God won't forgive you. How about this one that I think is so widespread in our culture today that, yeah, no one's going to miss you when you're gone. Does God really have a plan and a purpose for your life? Yeah, no, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Does he really? There's a lie 
The enemy lies about who God is, who we are, what his plan is for our life, and it's aimed straight at the core of who we are and what God wants to do with our lives. And it's a plan, and it's a desire, and it's a hope to break us and destroy us and cause us to to question and to doubt God's truth and his wisdom and ultimately to undermine what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's why the enemy lies to undermine what Jesus did. The good thing about the devil, yeah, there's a good thing. The good thing about the devil is that he's been using the same lies for like ever, right? Like from his creation, he's been using the same lies to us. They're they're, they're easy to spot, but sometimes we still believe him. He's been using the same ones for a long time. Why? Why has he been using these? Because he knows they're impactful. Why does he use them? Because he knows a lie believed as truth will affect us as if it were true. When we hold on to those things, it it manipulates our own lives and we start to be confused about what the truth really is. So we know the devil's real. We know the devil lies and we know that we need to stand against the devil, but how do we actually do that? Well, we just simply look at Jesus. We look at how Jesus fought the devil. How did he fight the devil? He fought the devil through spiritual disciplines. And what does that even mean? Spiritual disciplines are things that we build up in our lives. They're they're things that we work on. They're things that we practice and that by design make us better followers, cause life transformation, and their purpose is to aid in our growth as disciples of Jesus. These are the things that when we look at some people, when we look at ourselves, we might say, yeah, yeah, you know what, I'm not really good at that, but it's an exercise, It's something we have to grow in. It's something we have to get stronger at. It's something that we actually have to try to do on a regular basis. And we see Jesus operating and using these spiritual disciplines when he's actually battling against the devil. And the first thing that we see him doing, the first spiritual discipline, is this, is prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Two things that for the majority of us in this place, we've heard these terms, and we might even have a working understanding or working definition of what it means to pray and fast. But as we see Jesus, how does, he, how does he operate? What does this actually look like for Jesus to use? In Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2, this is Jesus. It's crazy. In verse, four it says, or in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, that verse in and of itself could be a series. And I'm not going to break it down, so y'all can study that yourselves. Um, but it's crazy. Just think about that. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Like, that's kind of funny. Like, you gotta read the Bible with a little bit of humor sometimes. Like, yo, the dude went 40 days without eating or anything, and yeah, he's hungry. Of course he's hungry. I go like eight minutes and I'm hungry. Like, he's hungry. So what do we see him doing? Prayer and fasting. He's spending time with God. He's praying. He's having a conversation. He's talking to God. Prayer at the very core, at the very basics, is having a conversation with God. But the most important part of prayer that we often overlook is the fact that it's a two-way conversation that is never meant to be dominated by us. Prayer needs to look like going before God, letting our request be made known, and then silence. And we listen. And we hear him. And some of us aren't very good at that part. And we think that I'm not good at prayer because I don't often hear God. Well, if we're being honest, just close your mouth a little bit. Prayer and fasting. 
We see him fasting. Fasting is removing something in the natural in order to grow a dependence on the supernatural. And most often we see this with food where you remove food and you get hungry, right? Like that doesn't sound fun. That's hard, right? Spiritual disciplines, growing in our spiritual disciplines often isn't fun because it puts us in an uncomfortable place to actually grow our dependence on the Holy Spirit. So that's what fasting is, removing something in the natural to grow a dependence on the supernatural. And as a church, we are kicking off a 21-day fast tonight at sundown, where for the next 21 days, we are going to see how we can grow in the spiritual discipline of prayer and fasting. And I want to invite all of you in the room, all of you online, to participate in this fast with us. Now, I'm not saying you can't eat for the next 21 days, because I'm not going to do that. Um, But between you and your spouse and you and God, figure out what's that going to look like. What can you fast? Maybe it's media. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's caffeine. Maybe it's TV altogether. Maybe it's entertainment. I don't know what that is, but figure out what that is. Remove it and then actually have a plan to actually spend time with God in the word of God, talking to him and growing uncomfortable so that we can grow this discipline. We're going to be having a reading plan for the next 21 days that we're going to do as a church as well. And so if you want that, you can use your text message features. And you can text the number on my screen and just text the word FAST. That's it. Just the word FAST to the number on your screen. If you're watching online, don't put it in the chat. That doesn't work. Text it. And this is a way for us to do this together, to grow in our unity together. All of this is to help us grow in our dependency and our trust in God. The second spiritual discipline that we see Jesus operating in and knowing is simply scripture. Just write that down. Scripture. He knew the word of God. Matthew 4.4. This is in response to a direct lie from the enemy, from the devil. This is how Jesus responds. He says, Jesus answered, it is written. He's quoting scripture right there. It is written, speaking of the written word of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word. Scripture, the written, spoken word of God that comes from the mouth of God. And right here, Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he's using the scripture, he's using this truth to combat the lies of the enemy that the devil is tempting him with. Jesus is fighting back with truth because he knows the truth. Now, some of us, we try to argue our way out of this and say, yeah, but Jesus was God. He just, he was the truth. He knew the truth. Yeah, but you know what? At this point in his life, Jesus had actually read and memorized the first five books of the Bible. Not because he was God, but because he actually put in the work in his humanity to trust and become dependent on the word of God. And I wonder, I wonder, as I was prepping, I saw this, and I wonder that If in the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness fasting and praying, like was he in the word of God? Did he have the first five books? Was he studying them? Was this one of the things that was resonating in his spirit at this time? When the enemy came to attack, did the Holy Spirit just bring this up in in Jesus' heart that that, that the, the word of God, the truth that he needed to hold on to to combat the lies of the enemy? That's speculation. I don't know, but I wonder. Because oftentimes when the enemy has come to me, the Holy Spirit has, has brought to remembrance things that I've hidden in my own heart. Psalms 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. See, here's, here's the reality that, that we can't fight with truth if we don't know the truth. 
You can't fight with truth if you don't know the truth. If, if, if you don't know the scripture, how can you use scripture? If you don't know the truth, how can we fight the lies of the enemy with truth? If we don't have those words hidden in our hearts that we can pull them up to fight against the enemy, to, to, to resist, to oppose the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10.5, I take every thought captive that sets itself up against the knowledge and I make it obedient to Christ. Right, 2 Corinthians, I am a new creation created in him. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right, there's, there's verses that we can store up in our hearts that when the enemy comes to attack with his lies, we can fight directly against him with the truth. What good is the truth if you don't know the truth? What good is the truth if you don't have it hidden in your heart? See, the reality is like, some, this is some of us when the enemy attacks, right? We're going through something and we're just like, See, I am against you. Uh-oh. That's literally what it says. <laughs> Does that do us any good? No, we study this and we hide it in our hearts. That's how we go against, that's how we fight against the enemy. I want to end this with this one last thought. And it's that we need to set our minds on the spirit and the truth of God. We need to set our minds on the spirit and the truth of God. Romans 8, 5. It says, those who live in accordance to the flesh. Remember, we're going to talk about that next week, so you want to be here. Have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. One of the quotes I love most from this book is this. It says, our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. When we have our minds set on the spirit of God, we experience the truth of God. And when we feel our lives filled with the truth of God, we see something powerful happen. When we live in alignment with the spirit of God and in the truth of God, and when we fill ourselves up with it, we can turn to this story of in Matthew chapter four, Jesus's encounter at the end of this encounter where he's being tempted by the devil and he fights it with the word of God. This is what it says in Matthew four eleven. It says, then the devil left him. He fought it with the truth of God. That was stored up in him. Then the devil left him. And then one of Jesus' most famous teachings, John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I wonder how many of us are living a life, maybe from the time we were kids to even today, where we've held on to the lies of the enemy. And we've allowed the lies from the enemy to fill our hearts and to, to cause our identity to be shifted. And, and these things become who we are and we hold on to them and, and we almost begin to enjoy them, but they wreak havoc, they wreak destruction. And we know that at the end of the day, yes, I have made mistakes, but the enemy again, remember, says, no, you are a mistake. And we need to combat it. What do we combat it with? We combat it with the truth of God. When we read the word of God and when we hide it in our hearts, when 
the enemy comes against us, we can use the truth to displace the lies of the enemy. And all we have to do is fill ourselves up with the truth of God. And what begins to happen when we fill ourselves up with the truth of God? We begin to see the lies that the enemy has told us our entire lives for days, weeks, months, years, maybe even generations that we've held on to. And we begin to fill ourselves up with the truth of God. And sometimes we fill ourselves up and we combat the, the, the lies. And you know what? There, there's still some there. So I've got to go back and take captive those thoughts. I've got to go back to the truth. I've got to hold on to that truth. Because reality, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, I take thought every captive. Sometimes we have to take every thought captive every single day and battle it with the truth of God. And we fill ourselves up with the truth of God to the point that the only space in our hearts or in our lives is for the truth of God and no longer the lies of the enemy. But this is scary sometimes. Because what the enemy tells us is that if we address the fact that we have lies or we've held on to lies, then we're too messed up. And sometimes it's easy to just cover these things up. But the truth of God is not what the enemy manipulates. And some of us are sitting in this place with very real lies that we're holding on to that the enemy wants us to keep our hands ripped, wrapped around tightly. But the truth of God and the spirit of God and the Holy Spirit want to speak truth into your heart. Want to speak a truth specifically into the lie that you've been dealing with. And your lie might not look like your your, your neighbor's lie, your lie might not look like anybody else's lie, but just because it doesn't look like everybody else doesn't mean it's any more true. The lie that you're not good enough, that God sees everybody else but not you, that God forgives everybody but you, that, yeah, you lost your temper with your kids, but you're a bad parent. Trust me, I lived that one a lot this week. I had to go back to the truth a lot that, this week. The reality is that the enemy wants to lie, he wants to destroy, he wants to break, he wants to undermine what Jesus came to do and accomplish and what he did accomplish on that cross. And Jesus wants to break the control and the power that those lies have over you because he's already done it on the cross. So I want you to think about in your life right now today, in this very moment, sitting on this, in the chair that you're in or watching online, what's the one lie that you're holding on to? Some of us are like, one lie? Woo, I got a hundred. Yeah, so do I. But in this moment, what's the one thing that Jesus wants to bring freedom in? What's the one thing that Jesus wants to break? Just because the enemy spoke it, it ain't true. Remember, he's the father of lies. But when we listen to God, he only speaks truth. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he is for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. 
And God, we just submit ourselves to you. God, the lies that we've been holding on to, the fear, the brokenness, the regret, the shame. God, I thank you that your word says in Romans 8, 1, that those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So Jesus, we just ask, would you remove the lies? Would you speak truth? Would you bring freedom that only you can bring? Jesus, I thank you that you came, that you died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, to pay our debt, to demolish the lies of the enemy. So God, I pray that if there's anyone in here who needs to hold on to that truth, who needs to receive that truth, who needs to receive you as the Lord and Savior of their lives, God, I pray that right now that we would be humble enough to say that we need help, that we need to be saved that it can only be by you. So Jesus, speak to us. Bring freedom. In Jesus' name.